one chapter six of clara vaughan volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by lynn thompson clara vaughan volume one by r d blackmore book one chapter six to no one not even to thomas kenwood in whom i confided most did i impart the discovery just described again and again i went to examine those letters jealous at once of my secret and fearful lest they should vanish but though they remained perhaps unaltered they never appeared so vivid as on that day with keener interest i began once more to track from page to page from volume to volume the chronicled steps of limping but sure-footed justice not long after this i was provided with a companion clara said my guardian one day at breakfast you live too much alone have you any friends in the neighbourhood none in the world except my mother well i must try to survive the exclusion i have done my best but your mother has succeeded in finding a colleague there's a cousin of yours coming here very soon mother dear i cried in some surprise you never told me that you had any nieces neither have i my darling she replied nor any nephews either but your uncle has and i hope you will like your visitor now remember clara resumed my guardian it is no wish of mine that you should do so to me it is a matter of perfect indifference but your mother and myself agree that a little society would do you good when is she to come i asked in high displeasure that no one had consulted me he is likely to be here to-morrow oh i exclaimed the plot is to humanize me through a young gentleman is it and how long is he to stay in my house in your house i suppose that will depend on your mother's wishes more likely upon yours i cried but it matters little to me he said nothing but looked displeased my mother doing the same i was silent and the subject dropped but of course i saw that he wished me to like this new importation while he dissembled the wish from knowledge of my character two years after my father's birth his father had married again of the second wedlock the only offspring was my guardian edgar vaughan he was a posthumous son and his mother in turn contracted a second marriage her new husband was one stephen daldy a merchant of some wealth by him she left one son named lawrence and several daughters this lawrence daldy my guardian's half-brother proved a spendthrift and while scattering the old merchant's treasure married a fashionable adventuress as might be expected no retrenchment ensued and he died in poverty leaving an only child this boy clement daldy was of my own age or thereabout and in pursuance of my guardian's plan was to live henceforth with us he arrived under the wing of his mother and his character consisted in the absence of any if he had any quality at all by which one could know him from a doll it was perhaps vanity and if his vanity was singular enough to have any foundation it could be only in his good looks he was i believe as pretty a youth as ever talked without mind or smiled without meaning need it be said that i despised him at once unfathomably 
His mother was of a very different order, long-enduring, astute, and plausible, with truth no more than the pith of a straw, she added thereto an imperious spirit, embodied just now in an odious meekness. Whatever she said or did in her large contempt of the world, her lady abess walk, and the chastened droop of her brilliant eyes, she conveyed through it all the impression of her humble superiority. Though profoundly convinced that all is vanity, she was reluctant to force this conviction on minds of a narrower scope, and dissembled with conscious grace her knowledge of human nature. To a blunt, outspoken child, what could be more disgusting? But when upon this she assumed an air of deep pity for my ignorance, and interest in my littleness, it became no longer bearable. This Christian Jezebel nearly succeeded in estranging my mother from me. The latter felt all that kindness towards her, which people of true religion, when over-charitable, conceive towards all who hoist and salute the holy flag. Our sweet pirate knew well how to make the most of this. For myself, though I felt that a hypocrite is below the level of hate, I could not keep my composure when with affectionate blandness our visitor dared to discharge her sacred duty of impressing on me the guilt of harbouring thoughts of revenge. Of course she did not attempt it in the presence of my mother, but my guardian was there, and doubtless knew her intention. It was on a Sunday after the service, and she had stayed for the sacrament. "'My sweet child,' she began, "'you will excuse what I am about to say, as I only speak for your good, and from a humble sense that it is in the path of duty. It has pleased God, in his infinite wisdom, to afflict your dear mother with a melancholy so sensitive that she cannot bear any allusion to your deep-lamented father.' You have therefore no female guidance upon a subject which justly occupies so much of your thoughts. Your uncle Edgar, in his true affection for you, has thought it right that you should associate more with persons calculated to develop your mind. Now I hate that word develop, and I felt my passion rising, but let her go on. Under these circumstances it grieves me deeply, my poor dear child, to find you still display a perversity and a wilful neglect of the blessed means of grace which must, humanly speaking, draw down a judgment upon you. Now open your heart to me, the whole of your little unregenerate heart. You mysterious, but I firmly believe, not ill-disposed lambkin. Tell me all your thoughts, your broodings, your dreams, in fact, your entire experiences. Uncle Edgar will leave the room if you wish it. Certainly not, I said. Quite right, my dear. Have no secrets from one who has been your second father. Now tell me all your little troubles. Make me your mother confessor. I take the deepest interest in you. True, I am only a weak and sinful woman, but my chastisements have worked together for my edification, and God has been graciously pleased to grant me peace of mind. You don't look as if you had much, I cried. Her large eyes flashed a quick start from their depths, like the stir of a newly fathomed sea. My guardian's face gleamed with a smile of sly amusement. Recovering at once her calm, objective superiority, she proceeded, I have been troubled and chastened severely, but now I perceive that it was all for the best. But perhaps it is not very graceful to remind me of that. Yet, since all my trials have worked together for my good, on that account I am, under providence, better qualified to advise you, 
in your dark and perilous state i have seen much of what thoughtless people call life but in helping you i wish to proceed on higher principles than those of the world you possess beyond question a strong and resolute will but in your present benighted course it can lead only to misery now what is the principal aim of your life my love the death of my father's murderer exactly so my unhappy child i knew it too well though a dark sin is your leading star i feel too painfully my own shortcomings and old unregenerate tendencies to refuse you my carnal sympathy you know my feelings edgar indeed eleanor replied my guardian with an impenetrable smile how should i you have always been such a model of every virtue she gave him a glance and again addressed me now suppose clara vaughan that after years of brooding and lonely anguish you obtain your revenge at last who will be any the better for it my father and i your father indeed how you wrong his sweet and most forgiving nature this was the first thing she had said that touched me and that because i had often thought of it before but i would not let her see it though his nature were an angel's i cried as i believe it was never could he forgive that being who tore him from me and my mother i know he watches me now and must be cold and a wanderer until i have done my duty to him and myself you awful child why you frighten us all but you make it more my duty come with me now and let me inculcate the doctrines of a higher and holier style thank you mrs daldy i want no teaching except my mother's you are too wilful and headstrong for her come to me my poor stray lamb i would sooner go to a butcher mrs daldy is it possible are you so lost to all sense of right yes if you were right i replied and left the room thenceforth she pursued tactics of another kind she tried me with flattery and fictitious confidence likely from a woman of her maturity to win a young girl by inflating self-esteem she even feigned a warm interest in my search and wished to partake of my readings and secret musings indeed i could seldom escape her i am ready to own that by her suggestions and quick apprehension she gained some ascendancy over me but not a tenth part of what she thought she had won and i still continued to long for her departure of this however no symptom appeared she made herself quite at home and did her best to become indispensable to my mother clement daldy had full opportunity to commend himself to my favour we were constantly thrown together in the presence of his mother and the absence of mine for a long time i was too young and too much engrossed by the object for which i live to have any inkling of their scheme but suddenly a suspicion broke upon me my guardian and his sister-in-law had formed as i thought a deliberate plot for marrying me when old enough to that tailor's block the one had been so long accustomed to the lordship of the property to some county influence and great command of money that it was not likely he would forego the whole without a struggle but he knew quite well that the moment i should be of age i would dispense with his wardship and even with his residence here and devote all i had to the pursuit of my monomania all his endeavours to make me his thrall had failed partly from my suspicions partly from a repugnance 
which could not be conquered. Of course, I intended to give him an ample return for his stewardship, which had been wise and unwearying. But this was not what he wanted. The motives of his accomplice require no explanation. If once this neat little scheme should succeed, I must remain in their hands, Clement being nobody, until they should happen to quarrel for me. To show what Clement Doldy was, a brief anecdote is enough. When we were about sixteen years old, we sat in the park one morning at the corner of the lake. Clement's little curled spaniel, which he loved as much as he could love anything, was gambling round us. As the boy lounged along, half asleep on the rustic chair, with his silky face shaded by a broad hat and his bright curls glistening like daffodils playing, I thought what a pretty peep-show he made, and wondered whether he could anyhow be the owner of a soul. "'Oh, Clara,' he lisped as he chanced to look up, "'Cousin Clara, I wish you wouldn't look at me, though.' "'And did I look fierce at its dolly?' I said, for I was always good-natured to him. "'Dolly knows I wouldn't hurt it, for it's house full of sugar-plums.' "'Then let me go to sleep. "'You are such a horrid girl,' so I hushed him off with a cradle-song. "'But before the long lashes sunk on his cheeks like the ermine tips of my muff, "'and while his red lips yet trembled like cherries in the wind, "'my attention was suddenly drawn to the lake. "'There was a plashing and barking and hissing and snapping of snow-white wings. "'Poor Juan engaged in unequal conduct with two fierce swans "'who had a nest on the island.' The poor little dog, though he fought most gallantly, was soon driven into deep water, and the swans kept knocking him under with rapid and powerful strokes. Seeing him almost drowned, I called Clement to save him at once. "'I can't,' said the brave youth. "'You go if you like. They'll kill me, and I can't bear it, and the water is so cold.' In a moment I pushed off the boat which was near, jumped into it, and, seizing an oar, and tried to beat back the swans and lifted the poor little dog on board gasping half drowned and woefully beaten meanwhile my lord-elect had leaped on the seat for safety and was wringing his white little hands and dancing and crying oh clara'll be throned and they'll say it was me oh what shall i do what shall i do even when i brought him his little pet safe he would not touch him because he was wet so I laid him full on his lap. End of Book One, Chapter Six.